Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Not all dozen of you. <laughs> it's all good, man. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be with you again today in in this mode. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share God's word with you and uh, be with you in this way. Um, who picked out that last song? That was so good. I could, have, I could have built my whole sermon around that last song. That was providential. That was beautiful. Um, the, the idea that uh, Jesus Christ, our living hope, and, and, and death has lost its grip on me. People, we're going to touch on these things uh, today as I, I try and, and give you some hope, right, and explain how we can kind of grasp that and own that, all right? So before we get there, let's, let's pray, though, because we really, it's a God thing, right? If there's any good coming of any of this, it's, it's because of him. So let's, let's praise him and pray together. Our great God, we do praise you, and you are worthy. Uh, you alone are worthy, really. You're the almighty God. Uh, you're the God of all wisdom. We know nothing. We bring nothing to the table. We, we are just weak but uh, in you we're strong. Um, so Lord, be in our presence. Um, I, I particularly pray that uh, you don't let me get in your way of the message you have for your people. I pray that you will inspire them and uh, give them a sense of the living hope that we have in Christ. And uh, Lord, please superintend, we invite your presence in a powerful way. Uh, Lord, be with us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so uh, a message of hope. Um, I want to remind you of the importance of hope because, because the world really, it drags us down. Right, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. Let's be real. Uh, it's a spiritual war out there and it's ugly. Um, it's hard. It's hard. So we need this hope as an anchor for the soul and this is how the writer of Hebrews put it. Maybe. It's not advancing. There we go. Wait, too far now. Too many slides. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll pull it together. A technologically challenged day here today. Um, <laughs> all right, so Hebrews, Hebrews 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So what that's talking about is the, the curtain that used to, in the old temple in Jerusalem, kind of uh, wall off the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple that was sort of the kind of representative of God's presence, his throne, and like nobody goes in there. Only the high priest once a year to make atonement. Otherwise, you just stay out. There's no access for us lowly human beings in God's holy presence. But Jesus now, as our high priest, has made a way. He's gone in behind that curtain and he has opened up access to us, to God. All right. So, and that's what we, we sung about in the one song, Cornerstone, our anchor holds within that veil now because we have this promise because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. All right. But the problem is we have this hope. It's real. He's done it. It's an accomplished fact. But see, our sense of hope depends on how we think of these things. And sometimes kind of we lose the thread. We lose the bubble. We don't, we don't really catch the sense of hope. We don't feel it, right? 
So we have to have right thinking and truly understand what is God's truth. All right? So with that introduction, this is the outline basically where I want to take you today uh, for a little bit. I want to discuss the problem of our thinking, how, how we have trouble thinking correctly about these things. Then I'm going to offer you two facts that hopefully help restore right thinking in your minds. I'm going to give you a testimony from my own life, and then we'll wrap it up, okay? So here we go. Part one of the problem is that we don't perceive reality very well. We get a twisted, distorted, foggy view. Uh, we don't see very far down the road, right, in time. It's kind of like, imagine driving down a remote country road somewhere on a moonless night, and you're in an old car, like one of mine, and, the, and one headlight is out, and the other one is all uh, foggy and, and crazed, right? So you're just not seeing very far, very unnerving to kind of not really know where you're going. The other problem is, is we don't see the big picture. It's, it's like we're looking through a straw at everything, right? Now, uh, it, it's been said that women have better vision than men, like men can't find, so honey, where's this? And, and, the, and the woman just goes, right here. Okay, fine, let's say you have a bigger straw, like this, all right? But this is your straw, ladies. You still only have a straw, you're still only seeing a little fraction of the picture, right? So we don't see very far down the road, we don't see the whole picture, and so it can be kind of like this. Imagine that what you're seeing through your straw is this kind of dark and gloomy kind of a picture, right? And it's not even clear what it is, it's just not very, it's not very bright. But what if you knew that that's just a small, your little, what you're seeing through the straw is just a small part of this picture. This picture? Trying? Maybe? Are you seeing it? <laughs> well, further technical problems. What's supposed to be up there? Wait, there it is, there it is. That picture on the left is just a small segment of the one on the right, which is a brilliant sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. All right? That's the difference. You only see the little dark piece, but the big picture is brilliant. All right? So we struggle with that sometimes. Uh, the second part of the problem is, despite all these limitations, we still want to play God, all right? We want to know everything. We want to control everything. Come on, people, admit it. We're a bunch of control freaks, all right? And this does not go well. It didn't start out well. Our, our original parents, Adam and Eve, tried it take matters in their own, own hands, read about it in Genesis 3, went horribly wrong. It's been a mess ever since. We don't do any better with it than they did. And so God is like the cosmic janitor cleaning up our mess continually, right? That's his story of redemption, right? Is taking our mess and making something beautiful out of it. Okay, so that's where we are, and that's why we don't understand. We get discouraged when our attempts to control things fail miserably, as they often do, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't seem like anybody's in control. Stuff is just swirling out of control, right? Now you throw in there a little bit of, of suffering, right? Some maybe suffering unjustly. Ever, ever said, that's not fair. And sometimes it isn't fair. A lot of times it isn't fair. There's a lot of evil in this world, and things aren't fair. And then sometimes you suffer, and it, you don't even see a point to it. Like, People can endure a lot of hardship if they feel like there's a purpose, if there's a mission, if there's some reason. 
But when you're just suffering and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, what is this all about? And there are some of you out there who I personally know are in this exact spot. It just hurts all the time. Don't know why. Don't see a point to it. Very discouraging. When we don't understand these things, it can really drag us down. Okay, so here's where I want to go with you. Try a, a solution to this, to this problem of discouragement, right? It's like rainy, cloudy, overcast day. I've done a lot of traveling in my work life, a lot by airplanes, and a lot of those trips were on rainy days. You go, you get on the plane, and the rain is kind of streaking down the windows, and you taxi out, you go on your takeoff run, and now the rain's streaking sideways on the windows, but it's still just raining all over. You take off, and and you're in the air, and now the air's a little bumpy, and you climb up into the clouds, and it's a little bumpier yet. And all of a sudden, you break out of that cloud deck. And the sun is shining brilliantly in a bright blue sky, and the air is smooth as silk. So that's where I want to try and get you, right? Get you up out of the gloom. And it's part of the process is renewing your mind, like Paul talks about in Romans 12. A little bit of renewing the mind will go a long way to getting you up out of, the, out of the gloom. So these facts I'm going to offer you, I'm going to tell you, these are irrefutable facts. All right. All right, you ready for it? Here we go. Fact number one. We exist. And you're thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? We exist. Well, it only seems obvious because, well, your whole life you've existed, right? It's just always been that way. Everything's existed as far as you know. But we, we take that for granted, but it, it's not that simple when you start really analyzing it logically, what's going on, because fundamentally, something doesn't come from nothing. The uh, philosophers and theologians, they like to, to talk in Latin for some reason. I, I guess it makes them cool, right? And they have this, this phrase, is centuries, maybe millennia old, ex nihilo nihil fit. Literally in English, it means from nothing, nothing comes. The point is, if there was ever a time when there was totally nothing, there would always only ever be nothing because something doesn't come from nothing. Um, it's all bound up in this idea of cause and effect. Right? For any observed effect that we see, we have to have an adequate cause to explain it. So the fact that anything exists means that some pre-existing cause was there. All right. Now, there are some that would argue this and uh, and their argument can get actually kind of technical. There's some wise guy physicists would come in there and tell you about some things with matter, antimatter stuff and I don't want to get into all that right now because it gets a little complicated. If you like to talk about it, I love to talk about it, frankly. So come see me afterward or you know, let the office know. I'll get in contact with you and we'll talk it through. It's really interesting in my book but uh, it, it might take a little too much time to get you to, to the point of understanding it today. Take, but, but just understand, when they argue that way, their arguments are fallacious. The law of cause and effect holds, and from nothing, nothing comes. And aren't you glad this, that stuff doesn't just pop into existence out of nothing, right? Imagine, right? You, you don't have to worry that somewhere along the line, a giant boulder is going to appear above your head and come crashing down on you. The world does not work that way, Right? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right, so but we ha- what is this pre-existing cause? We can posit the uncaused first cause. Well, to us, that just is God, right? The self-existent being, the being who has essential being in and of himself, 
He is, was, always has been, always will be. He explained it to Moses this way. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The great I am. So, a transcendent, eternally self-existent being is the only truly logical, sufficient explanation for our existence. Are you beginning to feel a twinge of the hope? Okay? Here's what we need to think about. All of this stuff that exists. There's a a picture from the Hubble telescope of what they call the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's a pretty typical spiral arm galaxy holding maybe a couple hundred billion stars. Not too dissimilar from our own sun. And in the known universe, there may be a couple hundred billion, maybe even a trillion of these galaxies. Start letting all that sink in, people. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. We have a really big God, people. A really big God. Okay. All right. Fact number two. The tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. People, this is huge. This changes everything. It changes everything. Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, is absolutely the best day on the calendar. All right? And it's because it defies a natural explanation. The only adequate explanation for the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is that he was supernaturally raised from the dead. All right? All right? Doesn't mean people haven't tried to explain it away. There are several popular attempts. Uh, The swoon theory is one of them that said that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just kind of passed out and then later revived. Patently ridiculous people. Okay, I'm going to tell you that I suggest that most of us wouldn't have even gotten to the cross with the beating he endured. Would have killed half of us. And and the people who executed him, these were Roman soldiers expert in their craft. They didn't mess it up. And in fact, they had very good reason to not mess it up because if they did, their lives were on the line. They didn't mess around back then. And just to make sure, remember they stabbed the spear in his side just to be sure that he was dead? So swoon theory is ridiculous. The wrong tomb theory is another one. They, they put his body in the wrong tomb or they went back and found an empty tomb that wasn't the, the tomb he was in. Come on now. Joseph of Arimathea got Pilate's permission to take the body of Jesus and bury it in his own newly hewn tomb. What? Joseph forgot where his tomb was? He, he kind of took Jesus to the wrong place? Come on. Ridiculous. And there were other witnesses that were with him at the time. So you could have easily sorted that out. The hallucination theory. The hundreds of witnesses all had the same hallucination of this Jesus walking around. Hallucinations don't work that way, people. There are no mass hallucinations. Okay? The favorite of the Jews of the time was that the disciples stole his body. As ridiculous as all the rest, I mean, think about it. You have this band of of disciples who just saw their leader horribly uh, murdered, right? And they figured they're next. They're going next in the mop-up operation, right? And so this group of of guys is going to go try and sneak behind a Roman guard and kind of quietly roll the stone away from the tomb and take the body out. Also, they could prop up a lie. Does this make sense to anybody? 
It's ridiculous. The Jews didn't have anything better to go on, so that's what they, you can read about it in Matthew 28. All these are just ridiculous, right? It's grasping at straws. It's interesting, too. I, I was talking to my brother Jim. He's a pastor over in Northern Virginia about this. He has a friend who is what we would call a completed Jew. That's a Jew who believes that Jesus is their Messiah. His father is an Orthodox rabbi in, in Israel, and he says that a lot of the, the Orthodox scholars and rabbis are starting to come to grips with this idea that, you know, this possibility that, you know, Maybe this Jesus really was the Messiah, and, and we missed it. It's getting kind of exciting to imagine that Israel may be starting to wake up to this Messiah. Won't that be an amazing thing? And part of the reason that they would be waking up, perhaps, besides the fact that the Spirit of God is moving, obviously, but the, re- the evidence for the resurrection is plentiful. It's hard. How do you argue this stuff? First of all, the tomb is, in fact, empty. We just discussed, why would people be making up stories to explain it away if it wasn't so? So the tomb's clearly empty. There were many eyewitness accounts of people seeing and even touching the Lord after his resurrection, right? And all of this was, the, the proclamation was immediate. And it was right there in Jerusalem. It all started right there where it all went down. So it could all easily be verified. It wasn't some story that just kind of years later popped up from some, you know, obscure place somewhere. And despite the fact that there were a lot of people who had all kinds of reasons why they really didn't want this to be true, there was never any contrary evidence offered. Furthermore, some more evidence. These, this band of terrified disciples we were talking about somehow became bold evangelists. All but John wound up dying, some of them pretty gruesome deaths in the process for, for, for proclaiming the risen Christ. And even John, he lived out his life as an exile. Now take a couple of individuals. Look at the half-brother of Jesus, James. Now, there's no evidence that James had any interest in, in his brother. Probably passed him off as some kind of kook or something, right? Actually, have you ever thought what it must have been like for James and the others in that family? You know, could, you know some of you had the, the brother or sister that was little Miss Perfect or whatever. Jesus really was perfect. But this guy, who, who maybe yeah, didn't know what to think of his older brother, wound up becoming one of the pillars of the church. What turned him around? The resurrection, obviously. Or maybe even more dramatically, Saul of Tarsus. Here's a guy, a Jew of Jews, a great zeal for the Lord, just without understanding. He was running around arresting Christians. He was dragging them off to be tried for their heresy. He was there when they stoned Stephen to death. And all of a sudden, he's now the foremost proponent of Christianity, carrying it all around the world. Wounds up writing a bunch of the New Testament. Well, this is how he put it, right? In his first letter to the Corinthians, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We were singing about it, right? Victory, Jesus has the victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. People, God wins. Jesus wins. We totally win. Now, 
It doesn't mean you're not going to lose a battle here and there and some skirmishes along the way. You're going to get banged up. But in the end, we win the war. In the big picture, we win. Death has lost its grip on us as we sung. I like the way Peter talks about it in his first epistle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, the living hope we were singing about, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And some of you are being grieved by various trials right now, I know it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? Look Look at the destiny, the end game, praise and glory and honor. All right, the, the trials for, for a little while, for now, results in praise and glory and honor. So hang in there, people, hang in there. Uh, a little bit of my story, my story of providential preservation or providential protection. It's uh, got several parts to it, so hang with me as I run through it all. One of them is uh, back on September 11th, 2001, you may remember that day. On this particular day, there was an airplane, American Flight 77. It departed Dulles International Airport bound for Los Angeles, as it had on many other days. Uh, That particular airplane never arrived, though, because it was hijacked by terrorists and flown into the Pentagon. Uh, I lost a couple of friends and coworkers on that plane. And, uh, And I know where they were going. I know why they were going there. And the truth of the matter is, if I hadn't changed programs a year or two before, I very likely would have been with them because I had made that very trip several times before myself. And it's interesting, the reason I changed programs, I mean the circumstances, um, I'd gotten word that they were cutting back on engineering support in, in that program. And at the same time, there were some things going on. They were trying to rebuild a capability in another part of our, of our enterprise. And I was specifically asked, hey, would I come work on this other stuff? So I, I said, yeah, okay, let me take the pressure off the engineering staff on this program. I'll go help you guys out over here. It was a couple of weeks after I made that transition, I, I got word from one of the people in the, in the program office for that prior program. Oh, hey, sorry to see you go, Jack. It's like... I was really kind of planning to kind of make you my right-hand man type of thing, you know, to help support us in all this stuff. But I understand if you've got other things to do. Had I known that they had those plans for me before I switched, I might have said, no, i got other things still important to do over here. But I didn't get that word till after the fact. And, I, you know, providential, right? All right, part, part two of the story uh, involves a car and some alcohol. Uh, Before I knew the Lord, uh, there was one instance where I I was driving for several miles after having way too too much alcohol in my system. And it could could have easily been a statistic or or worse, made somebody else a statistic. 
Can't imagine living with that. But no, I made it home safely. Uh, Guardian angels or whatever, working overtime, keeping the car pointed straight, right? Um, uh, Beyond that, when I was a child, I had several choking episodes. (laughs) I don't know, I must have a small windpiper or something, I don't know. Um, One time I I was choking on a piece of meat. My grandfather reached his finger down in my throat and kind of pulled it out. I don't even know how he he managed that. Um, One time I was choking on a piece of candy and my, my mom, like, she couldn't, picked me up, but she like tipped, tipped me upside down and stood me on my head and slapped me in the back and, and knocked the candy out. But my, my favorite one is the story of the teething pretzel. And I don't know, some of you even know what a teething pretzel is, but back in the day, uh, we had these teething pretzel things. And it was like, if you've seen a pretzel rod, it was kind of like maybe half of one of those, a shorter version of that. And it was harder uh, so that the baby, when he was teething, could gnaw on it, you know, it would make his gums feel a little better. And it would slowly dissolve over time with, with the drool, and he would swallow it or dribble it down his front, whatever. And, uh, but anyway, so that's what a teething pretzel is. So I got to tell you the story. I got to set it up, though, a little bit. All right, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, it involves a radio. Now, this radio, my father had gotten it for my mother for Christmas, like the year before, I think. And she had had it in one room, decided she wanted it in another room, and she was carrying it into the other room. But the cord was dragging behind her, and it caught on something and ripped it out of her hands, and it crashed to the floor. But it, did, it didn't break in a bunch of pieces. It, didn't even, it was still working fine most of the time. But something got knocked a little loose, and every once in a great while, it would just stop. And you'd go over and pop it on the top, and it would start playing again. Uh, it would kind of shake something up and reconnect it, and it would start working again. So that's the radio. The other thing you need to understand in this story is what manner of man my father was. He was kind of an over-the-top type A personality. He spent a couple of years in the Marine Corps, and he was a consummate Marine. You know what I'm talking about, right? ooh Um... You also need to understand about my dad that at the time he was a laborer for the electric company, basically a ditch digger, frankly, and he, uh, he worked uh, in the hot summer sun, he worked in the cold Pennsylvania winters, and he worked hard for his living. And when he got home, he wasn't much interested in working around the house. He took no pleasure in handyman projects and all that kind of stuff. He just wanted to rest. All right. But if you ever did, some kind, sometimes you got to do stuff, even if you don't feel like it, right? And there's projects to do. Once he got into a project, he was like a man on a mission. You know what I'm talking about, right? He wouldn't stop to eat. It didn't even make sense to bother trying to stop to sleep because he wouldn't be able to get any sleep. The, the thought of a project hanging over his head would drive him nuts. He wouldn't be able to sleep. He might as well keep working on it right? This is the manner of man we're talking about in this story. All right, so here's the scenario. My mother is off shopping somewhere. She's out. My father is down in the basement working on one of these projects, a chair rail for the dining room or something. Up at the top of the stairs is the dining room where I am in my playpen. This same radio that I'm talking about is also in the room. My dad has it on, giving him some tunes for his project while he's working along. So, everything's going along, he's working away, the music's playing away, all of a sudden, guess what? The music stops, right? 
the, the stupid radio turns off. Amazingly, amazingly, my dad stops what he's doing. He interrupts his progress, comes upstairs, pops the radio on the top to get it working again, and responsible father that he was, takes a glance over at me just to make sure everything's okay. Everything is decidedly not okay. He notices I'm blue. He goes running over, grabs me by the ankles, punches me in the middle of the back, and a piece of teething pretzel that I was talking about goes flying out of my mouth, bounces off the wall across the room. I, I think I still struggle with teeth three, four, and five to this day from that, right? Um, but think of the confluence of things that had to come together for me to survive that. The radio breaks in just such a way that it's basically fine, except once in a while it kind of turns itself off. And it turned off at just precisely the time I'm choking to death. And above all the things that amaze me is that my dad, the type A Marine man on a mission, stopped what he was doing to fix the stupid radio and bothered to look, even bothered to check what was going on with me. <laughs> Amazes me to this day. I can't explain it outside of providence, divine intervention. That's the only explanation I see. All right, part three of the story. I have something in common with this guy, Tim Tebow. No, I don't have a Heisman Trophy. Uh, I didn't actually even play ball in college. I did play high school, but not, never got to college. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, though. Oh, it's probably the, the rugged good looks, you know. <laughs> They're laughing. What's the laughing? I, yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's ridiculous. No, it's actually much more serious than that. Um, yeah, there we go. Both of our mothers were seriously ill when they were carrying us, right, when they were pregnant with us. You might have heard his story during the 2010 Super Bowl. Uh, Focus on the Family took out, you know, a little spot, and he, he gave his testimony uh, there. Of when, he was there with his mother, and they told their story. In my case, my story, my mother had German measles, also known as rubella, when I was two months in. The doctor said that was like kind of the worst possible time for any of that to happen. He said, this is, kid's going to be really, he's going to have major issues, right? You, you probably ought to really think about aborting. And this was in 1959. This is well before Roe versus Wade where, you know, abortion was commonplace, right? But, but my parents were, even though they didn't actually know Christ as their personal savior yet, they were still steeped in the Judeo-Christian ethic, and they said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. If he has problems, at least he'll be loved. That was their determination. It could have easily been all over for me before I even drew a breath, right? So what do we make of all this stuff? Why was I preserved in, in this life to this point? Through many, many things, any one of which could have just taken me out. And the truth of the matter is, I, I don't know. I, I see this through the same straw as you. I, I don't know what's going on. And God very rarely gives us the answers to the why questions. He says, trust me. And, and I know there's plenty of you with stories too. In fact, a few people came to me after the first service with, with their stories, pretty crazy stuff, and, and it was great. It was fun. Think about it through your life. It may not be as dramatic as near-death near experiences, but, but you have your stories of divine appointments, clear divine intervention, 
providential things going on in your life. So, um, here's what I do know. That this God that created the universe, the almighty creator, who conquered death through the resurrection, is still active in our world, and I offer myself as exhibit A. What else do I know? The same God, he has a plan. We don't see it very well, all right, admittedly, but he does have a plan. He said through Jeremiah the prophet, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now that was spoken to the people of Israel at the time, but we can see the application for ourselves as well. The same God has a plan for all of human history and is active to this day. In fact, we may be seeing, uh, we may be witnessing the beginnings of the end, right? The last of the last days, things are getting really exciting on this planet and God is working his plan. And here's the other thing I know. If you're breathing, you are part of the plan. God doesn't waste anybody. Every human being is part of the plan. You, in whatever circumstances you are, in your little part of the world, are part of the plan. You have purpose, and you are greatly valued. All right? I'm hoping that that feeling of the hope is, is beginning to rise in you, right? Uh, as we start to kind of draw it into a close, here's a few a little bit from God's word to offer some more encouragement. The writer of Hebrews said, we can, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Think about it. If God has conquered death and it's lost his grip on us, what can, what can a human being do? What, can they kill you? Okay. They kill you and you, you get an early promotion to glory, Right? That's nothing to be feared. So, we can be confident. We can be strong because of what God has done. This is the way Jesus put it in John 16.33. By the way, my buddy Tim Tebow, he used to wear John 16.33 on his little eye black things, right? Because this is one of his favorite verses as well. It's, he, Jesus said this to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have uh, a little bit of discomfort once in a while. In the world, you will have some inconvenience sometimes. No. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation. Fortunately, he didn't stop there. He goes on and says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer, right? He wins. God wins. We totally win, right? Okay. Uh, I, I probably really should have asked for two or three weeks to do all of this sermon because there's way too much, way too much. If you, homework for the student, you can keep preaching yourself a message of hope in the coming weeks. Just do a word study on hope. Look it up in your concordance or your electronic equivalent, whatever. You will find many places in the scripture where God talks about hope. These are just but my favorites that I've collected here. Uh, Lamentations 3, Psalm 42, Romans 5 and Romans 8. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Titus 3, 1 Peter 1, there are many others, all right? But if you just want to jot a few of these down, you could go a long way just in these verses that I've listed here. We're not going to go there because we're running out of time. But 
Really helpful stuff. I encourage you to do the study. Follow up. Don't leave it at what I've told you today. Do it. Do your own study. I'm going to leave you with this poem from Jeremiah Denton. Uh, the late uh, Jeremiah Denton was a, uh, a U.S. senator from Alabama. He was also a rear admiral in the U.S. Navy. And he spent almost eight years as a POW in Vietnam. Can't even imagine that, right? But he wrote this little poem about the crucifixion. And it goes like this. Uh, speaking of Mary, right? Her face shows grief but not despair. Her head, though bowed, had faith to spare. And even now she could suppose his thorns would somehow yield a rose. Her life with him was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all is one. So remember, people, when you're seeing through your straw and it's looking dark and cloudy and it can be looking pretty hopeless and looking like it's pretty well lost, it could be you're on the cusp of a major victory. When it looked at the cross like Satan had his greatest victory, it was actually God's greatest victory, right? right? And that's the paradox of the way our God rolls. It often seems really bad. But God is in the midst of using that for some greater good that we can't even completely imagine. All right, so just absorb that. Meditate on that. Let that soak in that we have a really big God who has conquered death, still active in our world, and is bringing victory, even when things look totally hopeless. And with that, I hope that you will have hope in, in the weeks ahead. Let me uh, uh, close with uh, more prayer. Our great God... You are the God of all hope. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will bless the people so that they will sense that hope, that they will know it in their hearts. And despite their circumstances, no matter how grave, no matter how difficult or perplexing, no matter how bad the mental or physical pain they may be in, that they will cling to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our living hope. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.